Well, I hope that as we've been going through these first, this first, uh, we've done five Proverbs so far, that you've been able to have some time during the week to read the whole chapter and to see how what we have looked at fits in with the rest of the chapter and, and reflect on it a little bit. Today we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 6, and I'm taking uh, mercy upon you. We're not going to look at the latter half, which focuses on uh, avoiding the adulterous woman, which is what we looked at last week, and we'll look again at next week, because right now in Proverbs, that is a major focus that Solomon has for his son. But today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first 19 verses of chapter 6. And at first, they don't feel like they go together. There, there's not the great commandment of my son, listen to my words, although it does begin with my son. But what we're going to see is that there are four sections in these 19 verses. And they kind of don't seem to go together. But there are some threads that attach them. Uh, there are key words that show up in one stanza and then the next that will bind them together. But I, I do think that overall, if we take all 19 verses together, if we take these four wisdom uh, thoughts, we're going to see that there is a common theme, or at least I'm driving to a common theme through them, of how to escape ruin. Uh, it's kind of, I hope, a universal feeling of a parent that you would like your children to avoid ruin. You would like for them to escape destroying their lives. And as young people do foolish things, we hope that they can find a way out of those foolish things without too much harm, too much self-destruction. And that is, that is kind of the common theme. That's, that was what Solomon was saying to his son last week, worrying about his son's sexual purity and how he'll live his life and avoid the ruin of running too soon into things. Wait for marriage. Bless your marriage and do well in your marriage. And the same thing is here. We are going to look at uh, the first two sections are are foolish ways that young people, and sometimes, unfortunately, even older people, can behave. And the escape from the ruin that can come from these decisions. And then the latter two look at uh, the effects of giving yourself over to wickedness and the ruin and the destruction that comes. And so, put together these four uh, wisdom statements... They're telling us how to escape ruin. So let's look at these together. We're going to start with the first one in verses 1 through 5. Solomon begins, My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger, if you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth. The idea is, is have you pledged yourself to, to be uh, surety is to give in pledge. And that word in English, it means to take responsibility for another person's performance. Now, uh, sometimes, you know, we, we might sometimes find ourselves in a position of co signing loans 
you might say, or co-signing a, a, a lease agreement or rent. You know, a, a parent might do that to help a child. You help them come along. Or maybe you, as we've done recently, we've added William to one of our credit cards so that he can build up some credit. Now, he is added to us and he'll get a card and he can use that card, but we guarantee you the bank is not going to go looking to him if it needs to get paid, are they? They're going to go looking at his mom and me. But that's part of life. But what, what Solomon is saying here is if you have done this, if you have taken a pledge to take responsibility for another person's performance, but that other person is just a neighbor, just somebody who lives near you as a companion or a fellow, not, not a close neighbor, but somebody who just lives in the area, somebody who is practically a stranger to you, if you have put out, have given your hand and pledge for a stranger. And then Solomon describes this as being tra- trapped, caught in a trap, that you have been ensnared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth. The idea is, is if you've spoken too quickly and you have pledged yourself for somebody you really don't know that well, they're practically a stranger to you, and now you're responsible for their behavior. If they don't pay the loan that has been given to them, they're going to come to you. If, if they don't keep their bargain, they're going to come after you. If you've done this, my son, he says in verse 3, If this is what you've done, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. You're in a bad spot. You have no control over what happens to you because you have pledged yourself for somebody and they could could trip you up. They could hurt you. Do this then and deliver yourself since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, of this other person. Go, humble yourself, and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of a fowler. He says, get out of the trouble you are in. Deliver yourself. If you've been ensnared, if you've been trapped by the words of your mouth, deliver yourself. Like a, a, a gazelle would try to deliver itself from the hunter's hand or a bird from the hand of the fowler. How do you deliver yourself if you have pledged yourself for another person? If you've said, I'll be responsible, I'll, I'll help you out. But it was rash and it was quick and you're recognizing that was foolish. How do you deliver yourself? It's right there in the middle in verse 3. Go humble yourself and, and importune your neighbor. Uh, and, and, and so we can look at this as two stages. First, you humble yourself. You, you kneel down. You place yourself before them. And, and then the second part is that you importune them. And now I don't know about you, but I've never used that word in common conversations. So I had to look it up. Now, the Hebrew word being translated there, importune, is rahab. It means to act stormily. To, to act boisterously or arrogantly. Does that sound like something that goes along with humble? Not really. But if you go and you look up in Portune in the English dictionary, it means to pester. It means to harass, to annoy, to persist, and to demand to badger a person. 
Now, now the Hebrew word makes a little bit of sense. So the Hebrew word means to act stormily, boisterously, or arrogantly. It means to cause a, you know, to act stormily. And then to importune means you badger, you annoy, you harass. How does that go with humble? Well, the idea is that you need to humble yourself to harass your neighbor, this person who you've pledged to, to get out of the pledge. I, it, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, it, it's, it's, it takes the, the humility to do the harassing. It, it takes humility to harass somebody for freedom. You know, pride makes us say, oh, I've made my pledge, I'll just have to live with it. But no, he's saying, humble yourself. And how do you humble yourself? By going and bugging and begging and pleading. Deliver me out of your hands. Don't keep me in my pledge. It takes humility to harass someone for freedom. To, to constantly be going to them. Because they, they might not let you out at first. And so you have to keep coming. You have to harass them. I don't know about you, but I, I hear the word harass. It's negative. You, know, you, you harass people. That's a negative. But the idea is, is don't let up. Bug them until they let you go. Humble yourself under them. You don't go and badger them and bully them. No. Humble yourself. All, uh, acknowledging and recognizing they are in charge. You're trying to get out. You have been foolish and you said something you shouldn't. You have promised to do something you can't do. Harass them. Until they let you go. It's, it's similar to the idea of, of Jesus' description of how we should pray in Luke chapter 18. In Luke 18, Jesus tells the disciples that praying to God should be like this one judge in this one town who was a wicked judge and he did not care about God and he did not care about righteousness. And there was a widow in that town that constantly bugged him saying, give me justice in my cause. And the judge was annoyed by the widow and didn't want to do anything to help her. But eventually he said, though I don't fear God and I don't care about righteousness, I'm going to help her just to get her to stop bugging me. And, and Jesus said that's how we should pray to God. Now, God is not unrighteous, judge. God loves us and He wants to do things for us and He wants to provide for us. So, so that part is not describing God. The, what, what, what He's wanting to do is tell us, don't just let it go once. Don't just say, God, I want this and then let that be it. But no, every day, if God has not fulfilled that desire of your heart that you're praying for, continually bring it to Him. Not like the Gentiles who feel like they have to repeat things 20 times to get Him to listen, but just bring it daily. Bring it daily. George Mueller, who was a, a, a pastor in England back in the 1800s in Bristol and, and uh, ran orphan homes and lived his entire ministry, not majority of his ministry, without uh, a set income and without ever telling people what his needs are. And even for the orphan house that he built and all the ministries that he ran, he would pray to God daily for his needs. And often he would say, this is now the 43rd day since I first started bringing this to the Lord. Every day he would come back to the Lord and pray for the same thing. But always with an attitude of faith. God's going to provide. God will provide if it's his will. But daily he would take it back to him. And that's what God wants us to do in prayer. 
If you are struggling with a sin, take it to the Lord daily. If you are hoping for a certain outcome in life, take it to the Lord daily. Don't let up. Don't quit. In, in, a, in, a, in a way, harass the Lord. Not in an ugly way, but keep at it daily. Bring it up. Bring it up until He fulfills it. And that's, that's the wisdom, the instruction, the advice from Solomon to the Son if he has made a pledge and has put himself in the hands of another person. Because when you've pledged like this, when you're surety... You have no control. It's all based on that other person's behavior. What do they do? But you're the one that's on the hook. So get yourself out of there by humbling yourself, bugging them and begging them to release you. Don't give any sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. Don't rest until they give it up. Until they let you go. Not in, a, not in an angry, ugly way, but no, humbling yourself to them. But don't let go. That's, that's what He's instructing us to do if we find ourselves, if we have become surety for our neighbors. Now that not giving sleep to your eyes or slumber to your eyelids, those are ideas that carry on into the next section. In verse 6, Solomon says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, O sluggish one, Oh, you lazy person, go to the ant. Observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. The ant is able to do all the work it needs to without anybody telling it to. If you ever just watch anthills, they're just always going. Or they're coming into your house looking for food. Or you step on a fire anthill. You know, they all start running around and dispersing to, to attack and to bite whatever they can. They're not waiting for somebody to prod them. They automatically are acting. They all do the thing that they're supposed to do based on what kind of an ant they are. Uh, you, he could have just as easily said, go to the bee. You know, the bees do what they're supposed to do based on if they're a drone or if, if they're a, a harvester or if they're a queen. They, they instinctively know what to do and they're always busy at it. And so he's saying to the sluggard, to the, the lazy person, to observe the ants and to be wise. To, to, to learn something from them because they're working, they're preparing in the summer, gathering their provisions in the harvest. Why? So that they'll be able to eat and survive in the winter and then continue to the spring until they can gather provisions again. So he says to him in verse 9, How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? There's the, the, the common theme coming from the first stanza. Give no sleep to your eyes. How long are you going to sleep? Then he says to him in verse 10, A little sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. The the idea here is that you've got a person who's lazy. They're thinking, I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll take care of it tomorrow. I'll take care of it next week. I'm going to rest now. Oh, I don't need to get up just yet. I, I can sleep in just a little bit longer. And, and when you live this way of life, a little sleep, 
a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, just a little bit here and there. But if you do that long enough, your poverty will come in like a vagabond, like, like a wanderer. It'll, it'll walk into your life, your poverty will, and your need like an armed man. Your, your poverty, your inability to, to satisfy your need will walk in. But your need will show up like an armed man. In other words, it's going to be demanding. Your need will hold you up. But your poverty, your ability to fulfill your need, that's just going to walk in like a vagabond. It's not going any particular place, not going any particular speed. It really doesn't care, but it's going to show up. It, it, it's, it's similar to the idea Hemingway had, and uh, I want to say it was the sun also rises. When, when one guy says the other, well, how did you, how did you become bankrupt? And he said, two ways. Gradually, then suddenly. And, and that's how bankruptcy happens. You know, gradually, we're getting there, we're getting there, we're getting there, and then all of a sudden, suddenly it blows up in your face. Similar thing could be said about uh, the United States debt, right? I, I, we're, we're, I mean, for the longest time, it was just a sudden or just a gradual growth, gradual, gradual, gradual. And then all of a sudden, the graduals become very steep, hasn't it? And, and we, are, we are doubling amounts faster than we ever conceived possible. So poverty will come in like a vagabond, a wanderer who just walks in. But your need will come in like an armed man. Your, your, your poverty hope happens all year, but your need's going to show up in the wintertime when you run out of supplies. When you run out of food in your larder, then your need is going to show up fast and hard. And, and, and so the idea is, again, get yourself out of this trouble. Escape the ruin of being a lazy, sluggish person. Observe the, the, the ant and be wise. And the, the idea here for the young man growing up is that it is wise to work steadily. To, to, to keep working at it, even if you don't see the result right now. Keep working at it. Keep steady with it. Keep going. Because over time, it will pay off. It will have benefit. You'll have stores for the winter time. But if you relax yourself, if you take time off, if you don't work at it steadily, next thing you know, years have gone by and you haven't improved at all. A little slumber, a little sleep, a little folding the hands to rest. Yeah, your poverty happens slowly. But one day that need is going to come charging in like an armed man. And it will mean your destruction. So it's wise to work steadily. It's wise to keep at it. Just as the first five verses we're looking at, how do we uh, escape from being pledged to another person? This is how do we escape from the, the poverty that comes from being lazy? And the answer is, is don't be lazy. Keep working. Be diligent. A similar idea to 
importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber your eyelids. Don't give up. Keep going at it. Keep steadily begging, let me out of this pledge. Keep working steadily so that you won't be impoverished in your life. The idea that the, the verse 11 ends, your need like an armed man. It's this forceful person that bashes into your life. From there, Solomon goes in verse 12 to a worthless person. This idea of a, a worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth. So, so looking at a sluggish person, a lazy person, oftentimes the reason why people get into wickedness and doing bad things, a lot of times it comes out of that laziness, doesn't it? Uh, it's so much easier to steal something than it is to make it yourself. It, it's so much easier just maybe to get the, the answer key and memorize it than study all this material and I don't know what's going to be on the test. And we start making those shortcuts out of laziness and now it grows. And a worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks. And that word walks is the same word as verse 11. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond. A, a vagabond is a person who walks around. And so here, now you have a man who walks, but with a perverse mouth, a crooked mouth. He doesn't speak truth. He doesn't speak straight. So there is some crossover word ideas that he's using. This is a person we read in verse 11, or excuse me, 13 who winks with his eyes, who signals or speaks with his feet. He's communicating with his feet. Who points with his fingers. Who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil. These, these ideas of, of a perverse mouth, winking eyes, signaling with the feet, pointing with the fingers, perversity in his heart. It's like head to toe. Wickedness. He's doing wrong. He uh, continually devises evil who spreads strife. This is the type of a person who uh, is being described. And verse 15 tells us, therefore, his calamity will come suddenly. Instantly he will be broken and there will be no healing. Similar to the idea of a lazy person whose poverty comes in like a vagabond, but is need like an armed man. A wicked person, a worthless, a worthless person, a wicked man, a person who doesn't speak truth, who's devising evil and wickedness in their heart, who spreads strife in the world. This is a person whose poverty is growing gradually. Their, their wickedness grows gradually. The way they live um, corrupts them over time, gradually, but their calamity, much like the need comes like an armed man, their calamity will come suddenly. And, and that word instantly, it, it carries the same idea of something happening suddenly. So the suddenness of the calamity, the suddenness of this wicked person being broken and there not being any healing, no way to be restored, no way to be brought back, it'll happen just that fast. And oftentimes in the world, it seems like those who are wicked are very secure 
in their wickedness. They are secure in their money. They are secure in their ways. And we think sometimes they're never going to get caught. Even if they get caught, they'll never be brought to justice. There are a lot of wicked people in the world today that seem to get away with everything. They're not going to be brought to justice. And yet, God's Word tells us, no, they will be. And it's going to happen so fast, they're not going to know what's happened to them until it's all over. They won't be able to respond. They won't be able to adjust. They won't be able to be healed. They'll be completely destroyed. It's going to happen suddenly. The promise for us is that the wicked will come to ruin. Solomon is giving us guidance on how to escape ruin. Get out of that pledge. Don't take a little slumber and a little sleep. Work diligently. Avoid being the wicked person. Avoid walking in these wicked ways. Because a wicked man, a worthless person, a person with that perverse mouth who does all this devious signaling, pointing, winking, their calamity is going to come suddenly. Their ruin is going to come. And it's going to come so fast, they're going to be dizzy by it. Sometimes it feels like their ruin's not going to come. No, the wicked will come to ruin. Don't be the wicked person. Don't be taken with them and caught up with them. And that is an idea elsewhere. We saw it in chapter 1 about avoid the way of the wicked. Don't join in when they say, hey, come on, let's go. Let's lie in wait for another person's blood. Let's make a common purse. We're all going to get rich off of this. Don't go with them. Avoid becoming the wicked person because the wicked will come to ruin. And then to support that idea, Solomon gives us what he says in verse 16. Are, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. Seven things that God finds utterly detestable, loathsome. He is disgusted by them. They are an abomination. And this is a common way of, uh, of communicating it. You know, There are six, nay, seven. Later on in Proverbs 30, we're going to see a lot of there are three things, four. Three things, four. It's a way of strengthening and improving the thrust of the focus. And these are, these are seven things. Uh, the Middle Ages had the seven deadly sins. These are the seven things God absolutely hates. They are detestable to Him. He hates them. He is disgusted by them. And again, just as we saw in the last one, they go almost head to toe. In fact, they do. It begins uh, in verse 17 haughty eyes, proud or uplifted eyes, arrogant eyes, a person that is uh, too elevated in their own sight, a lying tongue, somebody who does not speak the truth but says lies, hands that shed innocent blood, hands that do violence to other people and, and not only do violence but do violence to the innocent that trick and harm and hurt the innocent. So we've, we're going from eyes to the mouth to the hands. In verse 10, 18, a heart that devises wicked plans, reminding us of the, 
the wicked man with perversity in his heart devising evil. This is a heart that devises wicked plans. Such a thing is something that God absolutely detests. That people would sit around planning wickedness. And finally, feet that run rapidly to evil. Feet that just cannot wait to get into the wickedness and to do evil. They run rapidly to it. So we've gone head to toe. The whole person is corrupt. And these are things that God does not like. He hates them. He detests them. And and then we get two more in verse 19. Those were all descriptions of a person. Characteristics and ways that we act. Next, he goes to the full character. A false witness who utters lies. So so God finds utterly detestable a false witness who utters lies. Somebody who who not only can't be relied upon and shows up and says, well, I don't know or I can't recall, but no. Everything they say is a lie. They try to trick things. They try to move things their own way. They try to subvert justice. And finally, one who spreads strife among brothers. There's the, just like in verse 14, the person who spreads, spreads strife. He, God finds completely detestable a person who spreads strife among brothers. Strife comes from a word that means uh, to judge. It, it has the idea uh, of causing contention among people, to argue and fight. And so such a person that would spread arguments and strife among brothers is completely opposite of what God expects and desires and wants. In fact, what we could do is easily just take these seven things and say whatever their opposite is, is that's what God desires. We, we can look at them negatively, but the opposite is that we can say positively, what does God desire for us? Well, He, he desires for us not to have haughty eyes, but to be humble. He desires for us to speak truth, not only to have a truth-speaking tongue, but to be a true witness who utters the truth, who can help get us justice. He desires for us not to shed innocent blood, but to help one another, to bless others, to heal. He doesn't want hearts that devise wicked plans, but hearts that desire righteousness and to follow Him. Not feet that run rapidly to evil. Feet that seek to do good, that seek to follow Him. And not causing strife among brothers, but bringing peace. Settling the strife. Uniting brothers in peace. How do we avoid and escape the ruin that can come? Not living in those ways but living in the ways that God would have us to. God, if I were to combine all of those ideas, those good things, I would say that God desires righteousness and peace in us. Not wickedness and strife, but righteousness and peace. I would say that is how we escape ruin. The, the, the father's desire for his son in Proverbs 
is that he would escape ruin, that he would live wisely, that he would make good choices. And if he gets caught up in something that is wrong, if he gets caught up, if he spoke too soon and finds himself in trouble, humble yourself. Don't go and beat up the other guy or bully the other person, but humble yourself to them. But don't let up. Keep going until they release you. Keep working. Don't don't take naps. Don't rest too much. Keep steadily working. And don't be wicked. The wicked will come to ruin. But, But develop a life of righteousness and peace. That's what God wants in us. That's what these four sections that that feel somewhat uh, independent of one another. And and mostly they are. But they've got this little thread that goes through them of how to avoid ruin. And so I would say for us, uh, taking it that way, to avoid the wicked ways, just as he says for the sluggard, don't go to sleep. Don't say a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding your hands to rest. But like the man who's trying to get out of being a, a pledge, importune, daily go to the Lord. Daily seek Him. That He would deliver us from sin and deliver us from the wicked ways. And that He would deliver us to be righteous and peacemakers. The, to not let go of that idea. To hold on to it and daily go to Him and say, Lord, lead me in the right path. Keep me from walking or following or getting caught up in the wicked ways. Keep me walking in Your ways on a daily basis. Don't let up. Don't sleep or slumber on it. But daily, take it to Him. And thereby, escape the ruin that is surely coming so many people today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we do say things and uh, often get ourselves into a lot of trouble with our mouths, sometimes with our behavior. And we develop patterns and habits and they can be destructive. We pray, Lord, that You would deliver us from those habits. That You would deliver us from wickedness, from sin, from practices of laziness or seeking things in the wrong way and it harms innocent people. We pray, Lord, that we would recognize those things that You find absolutely detestable that we would look to make sure that we don't cultivate them in our hearts, but instead, Lord, we pray that we would cultivate righteousness and peace in our lives today. Lord, if we are in a spot where somebody has something over us and we have no control of the situation, we pray that You would help us to humble ourselves and to continue to seek them to release us in all humility, until they do. And we pray, Lord, that as You have released us from sin, as You provide for us on a daily basis, 
that we would seek You out on a daily basis, that we would not let go of You until You bless us, that we would have faith that You will, and that we would come to You daily and bring our request to You, humbly asking for You to act and to work in our lives until we see it fulfilled. We pray, Lord, that we would do that. We ask these things today in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.